2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. Before we start, we wanted to acknowledge a huge loss in the world of comedy and to our country. Comedy legend Carl Reiner died last night at age 98. He was writing books, making public appearances, and actively tweeting until the day he died. We should all be so lucky or so funny. We're not. Today, the European Union has officially banned the U.S. from entering the continent when it reopens tomorrow due to our ongoing COVID crisis. For Americans this summer, the closest you'll be able to get to snooty European attitudes will be when you complain about how bad your food is at the Olive Garden. In a Senate hearing today, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that if the U.S. doesn't get the pandemic under control very soon, we could be looking at 100,000 new infections a day. Or as Donald Trump would say, zero infections. Scientists in China have found a new swine flu that could become a COVID-like pandemic. Wow, 2020 is so bad that we're not even waiting for the first movie to end before they announce the sequel. A Brook Park, a Brook Park Ohio, Little Caesars has fired two employees for putting pepperoni in the shape of a swastika on a pizza that was delivered. The pizza chain was quick to apologize and remind everyone that it could have been worse. They could have used pineapple. Cirque du Soleil, the producer of a number of Las Vegas shows, has filed for bankruptcy. Terrible news considering all the hoops Cirque du Soleil had to jump through to get this far. A Texas bar owner involved in a suit against Governor Greg Abbott over the reimposed COVID restrictions on bars has organized a Bar Lives Matter concert in protest this Sunday. It's BYOV, bring your own virus. Yeah. Ryan Seacrest was spotted with a new woman after breaking up with Shayna Taylor. Like so many men during the pandemic, Ryan has decided to try out a new beard. Twitch, the game streaming platform, has banned Donald Trump's account due to hateful content. Guess this is what happens when you try and muscle in on PewDiePie's lane. 260,000 people have signed a petition to stop the release of the film Habit, which stars Paris Jackson as Jesus, calling the film, quote, Christian-phobic garbage. Another great example of good Christians believing something they haven't seen and can't prove is true. Kim Kardashian has dethroned her sister Kylie as the richest Kardashian slash Jenner sibling after it was announced that she is now worth over $1 billion. It's only fair considering that unlike Kylie, Kim had to work her way all the way up from the bottom of Ray J to where she is today. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Aiello, and as always, I'm joined by some of our cast members and writers from TMI Hollywood. Let's go around and say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to us, uh, to our podcast. Let's say hello to, uh, let's start with you, Shayna. 
Hello. Joe. Buongiorno. Elizabeth. How do you do? Chris. Hello. Jess. Follow me on Twitter at the Jess Ellis. Do it. Emma. Bonjour. And Stuart. Hey. And also in a few minutes, we're also going to be joined by Dancing with the Stars, Damian Whitewood. So stay tuned for that. We have a fun show planned with him. Okay, so let's get started. This morning, the European Union released a list of 15 countries that would be allowed into the continent when it reopens tomorrow, based on how those countries have handled the pandemic. The United States was not on the list, effectively banning the U.S. from Europe for the foreseeable future. Is Europe making a smart decision to keep Americans out until we get the pandemic under control? What are your thoughts? Let's start with you, Jess. Fuck yeah, they are. I mean, they'd be insane to let anybody from here in. The chance of letting in infected people is very high. You know, it's funny, though. Uh, I, was, I was looking at, not to change the subject too much, but it is about COVID. Uh, I was reading a New York Times article about how they traced uh, one person in a bar in Ohio over, what is that, Memorial Day weekend? Or is that Labor Day? I always get those Memorial, yeah. That one. Uh, to infect 60 people. But uh, there hasn't been one article that I found where they found not even one person infected from a protester or rioter. So maybe if we all just go over to Europe and protest or riot, they'll be fine. Okay. Chris. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jess, man. Like it's, it's, it's not even like, you know, people are looking at this, I think the wrong way, but it's just, it's just, the smart decision. Why would you invite that kind of like the hard work that they put in to, to rid their country of this dangerous virus? Why would they allow it to, to ransack their country again? Like, you know, I, if you really look at it too, man, because like, we're, we're lucky in the sense of like the country that we are, that we haven't like hit a depression, but them having a second wave because of us trying to come over and get work or whatever it is that we're doing, like it would crush a lot of those smaller countries a lot worse than, you know, economically. So yeah, it's just the, the smart thing to do. And I also think it's kind of fun because, you know, it's been many, many years of Americans saying, no, you can't come over. Now we can't come over. So it's, it's just a little, little role reverse over there. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth? Yeah. Oh, how the tables have turned. No, um, it is worth pointing out that we are technically not letting the people from the EU in either, though, despite the fact that they have things under control or more or less under control. I just was reading some articles that pointed out it's still going, it's sort of both ways at this point where neither the EU nor the US is allowing basically. Which one's racist, though? Uh, well, both, frankly. Um, oh, wow, you're consistent. All right. <laughs> I uh, I have a lot of love for certain things, but yeah, that's Europe's got a race problem. They just pretend they don't a lot harder than we do. Um, yeah, uh, what do you call it? it? But it is, I understand their stance. And then also they pointed, they pointed out, I don't know where we are with reviewing that, that block, blockade, well, you know, the ban. Um, but the EU has said like they'll keep reviewing it. And it is ultimately, from what I also read, sort of to the individual country to a degree, they're like sort of highly recommending, you know, maybe don't let everybody in. Hang on, let me pull up my note that I made. Da, 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 da. 
The list of banned and permitted countries will be updated every 14 days and take into account progress or lack thereof of the uh, thing. That's not the note I meant to write. I am so sorry. Um, anyway, the point is they're going to constantly review it. And I feel like we haven't done that, but I don't know. For, I truthfully do not know that for sure. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a smart move because we are like on track for not good things with the pandemic. <laughs> Shana, then I'll go to you, Emma. Go ahead, Shana. This shows how much um, our country is screwing up Corona because Europe, this is a big money season from them, for them, from us. Americans, that's what they do during the summer. They go to Europe and they spend money. And for all of those countries to turn down the money that we would spend there, which is a lot, which is a lot because a lot of people do European trips, go backpacking European tours, talking acting wise there's a lot of stuff that happens in the summer because it's a big season for europe and you can do a bunch of countries in a limited amount of time i've done it so for them to say no to all of that and for 15 countries to say no to that that tells you how much this country has screwed up coronavirus and how much they don't want because it's not like they have it uh, it's just existing there they've gotten their population to a controllable level where people aren't dying on the floor in the hospital so that's where they're living too they they're going to experience a second wave too you know it still exists there so let's let's say that as well so i mean i i would americans be the beginning of the second wave i mean we already some i mean a lot of europeans already look at the summer as a plague anyway because americans just come and then crap on their country the entire time that they're there i'm not saying that's what all americans do it's what right. a lot of americans do when they travel mm -hmm. um and we I have a bad have reputation anyway I want to talk about the money real quick, Shana, since you brought it up. Um, so last year, between July and the beginning of October, just over 6 million Americans visited Europe. Um, today, Europe decided that they didn't want the tourist dollars from 6 million people if it was going to potentially affect the health of their countries. So that we have a better understanding of how big of a hit this is for their economies, you have to understand that Spain, Italy, France derive between 13 and 14% of their country's total revenue from tourism. So since you brought that up, I'm sorry. No, that's why I'm saying it, because that's the part that, that shook me, was I know, because every European thing I've done has happened that was a tour or involved even me as an artist going or me as a person traveling. It was in the summertime. And so just to say no to all of that money, as, as, and, and not just one country, 15 of them. <laughs> and I wonder what the other ones, how desirable they are to go to. The ones that are like, yeah, sure, come on over. Or how much COVID they have there. I don't about, know. I don't know who they are off the top of my head. I'm just curious. Think about all the tourism dollars we're, uh, we're losing from Mexico. No. Emma? Uh, the point I wanted to bring up, because I agree with what everyone said so far, that we've clearly not gotten this under control. And why on earth would they let us in when the odds are fairly high that someone infected is going to go over? Is that uh, I'm sure a lot of the news that they're seeing from the United States is also the people who refuse to wear masks. Uh, it's, I don't know for certain that it's just like a purely American problem. I haven't done all the research on that, um, but I know that it's something that we've become infamous for. Uh, and if we're gonna so thoroughly refuse to uh, adapt to that custom, then you know why would they let us in there? We're gonna be disrespectful and we're gonna be plague infected. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Stuart, then I'll go to Joe. Well, I also think if 
I mean, I agree with everybody said, I think if they were to allow us in, there would also be an increase in tourism from people who just want to go so they can go outside purely if they can just say, okay, so I don't have to social distance since I'm in Europe, which would be very bad for Europe. So th there's that whole aspect too. If people would just be trying to escape the social distancing rules here. Okay. Joe? This affects me personally. I have this wallpaper behind me here of the lovely Ferrari factory because that's where I'm supposed to go in October on the week of my birthday. And it's really tough to get an invite to it amongst the other things that I was going to do in Rome for my lovely Italian vacation, which is now pretty much at this point in the shitter. Um, so me personally, I'm devastated because I've, I've saved a ton of money for this. I've worked really hard for this. I can't tell you how impossible it was to be able to get to go and to go here, a place I've been wanting to go since I was a kid. And I don't know if I'll get that invite again. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I really am. I'm crushed. One day, I think I, I'm still holding on to that airline ticket in the hopes that something will change. But I know one day soon I'm going to have to go in and cancel it. And that's the day I probably won't be on the show because I'll just be crying all day because of all of this work that I have to put on hold. I mean, I put other trips on hold, but I'm okay with that. This one here is going to hurt and it's going to hurt really bad. And um, I don't know what to say except wear a fucking mask, Karen. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the countries that's, be, that's being allowed entry to Europe is China, where the corona outbreak started and originated. Uh, with so many U.S. leaders, including the president, villainizing China for the disease, what does it say about us that Europeans feel safer with the Chinese than they do with our own people? Jess. It says we're way smarter. God, they're stupid. <laughs> if they believe the Chinese numbers, they're dumb. Can you expand a little bit on that, Jess? What do you mean by that? Yeah, because they're lying. That's why. China is lying. They're lying their asses off. So you think the numbers... So the numbers are inaccurate, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Joe, sorry. You know, uh, Jess, uh, what do you have to back that up? Uh, well, there was several news articles like New York Times uh wall street journal and this was like a couple months ago when when china was reporting that they were have they were at zero deaths so uh what independent journalists in china started to do was measure uh how many bodies were going into the crematorium and how many families were picking up urns and it was in like 50 to 60,000 like within a period of a, like a very short time i don't have the the exact number but so the chinese authorities are not being forthcoming but independent journalists are doing uh, research, and the numbers are way off. A lot more people died. And it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. Okay, so whether the numbers are true or not, you know, what does that still? Yeah, it says about? that says Europe's yeah. dumb. <laughs> like I said, yeah. if the numbers are true, they're dumb. And if they believe China, says, they're dumb. It also says that uh, uh, again, and I've said this the whole time. They're trying to make China the enemy. They've been trying to make China the enemy for two years for the campaign. And it was all just for the campaign. That's the people that, that uh, uh, they're going to try and protect us from now because we can't do Mexico now because Mexico closed the borders and we can't go over there. So they got to come up with somebody. It's been since the middle of, of 2019, they've been setting it up for China to be the enemy. So I think that that has a lot to do with it, too. Um, you know, are the numbers fake? Uh, you know, Jess sometimes likes to quote the press and then sometimes he doesn't. So, hey. Okay, Elizabeth. 
Well, I'm sort of of two minds because I don't doubt it's sort of a Chernobyl situation in some ways where the actual, we won't maybe know the actual number for a long time, if ever, um, because the, they're an intense country in that regard. And I'm not trying to vilify anyone or anything, but I should also point out that China is allowed into the EU with restrictions. Like they're not, it's not a total free, like come on in situation. The one of the restrictions that I read is it's predicated on China allowing the EU to travel there. So, and I don't think that China's lifted their travel ban for the EU or the US. I don't know that for sure. Um, but as but as far as just letting them in in general, they if it seems to, I don't know. It seems to be under control. I'm not denying that there's probably more people dead from it there than we think. But there's probably also more people infected here than we think too, in terms of, you know due to our major lack of testing and contact tracing and everything, because people refuse to be contact traced and to figure out you know how uh, you know how you got the one guy from the bar in Ohio to infect 60 people and then those 60 people go out and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it sucks because I, I want to, I didn't have any major plans this year for travel, but like, you know, I kind of wanted to like, hey, you're still alive and you can travel kind of, you know, post-cancer trip sometime in the future. And, the, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen either. Want to go Right, like, because <laughs> I'm gonna have credits. <laughs> so also today, New York added eight more states, including California, to their list of states that residents coming to New York from would have to quarantine for 14 days upon entry in New York, which effectively closes New York to a lot of U.S. tourism because who would come to the state to stay locked in one place for two weeks? This goes along with Massachusetts banning anyone coming from outside the East Coast to the state without a 14-day quarantine. Another example of health being put above economic concerns. Is New York and Massachusetts right in doing this? And should there be a national hold on travel between states until things are more in order? Shayna. I mean, we kind of have to. I, I hate to, I mean, I, car companies are pushing taking road trips and things like that. Um, and I mean, because you can't go to Mexico, you can't go to Canada, you can't really fly anywhere other than the contiguous. I mean, you could go to Hawaii or Alaska, but that's pretty much it. Um, that's pretty much what we can do. So I think we're going to have to make states borders separate. This hurts me more than anything. My mother lives in New York. So if anything happens to her, both me and my sister are shut out from ever being there. Yeah. So if she gets sick, I won't be able to go, period. Um, and that is like, that's, I'm in the same boat as you, Joe, where I'm like, I'm devastated. Then there's nothing I can do. And it just, you know what I mean? Like, I think this, but it's what needs to be for safety. Yeah, that state has been ravaged. New York has been ravaged by COVID. I mean, and not just in the city, in Long Island and in, you know, the boroughs outside of the city, those suburbs, they also were hit hard and places in the Northeast as well. So it's not like they don't know what it does, you know, where they're ignorant to the, the virulence of this virus. And I think it's wise to put sanctions and make people quarantine before they go in. You know, and what you just said, Shana, that's when you add the human aspect of this you know, people that can't see their loved ones or, you know, like what you just said about your mom. I mean, I can't see my mom either, you know? It's just yeah. that 
it's that's when it just infuriates me that you know people are just being so selfish when there's certain things that yeah. you could, like just that was like the whole past. yeah that, that yeah. was the hope that we were going to maybe be able to get together yeah. in the fall or something like that mm-hmm. maybe we it would be okay enough to travel and now that's i mean it's starting to i mean it's starting to fade away i know because that's exactly when you said october i was like yeah and that even that hope is starting to fade away where it's like i don't think that's real i I can't go see any of my family they're all in new york and new jersey oh you know my mom my sister my nieces my cousins my uncles everybody i can't go see them and you know uh, they they got they better be really sick and then hold on because if I had to say 14 days in like a day's in in Paramus, I'll go bananas. So, I mean, seriously, I'm not, I'm trying to make it a little bit of light of a joke, but I mean, everybody's over there. So, yeah. you know, what, what the heck are you going to do? Hey, Elizabeth? Yeah, it's, and it's sort of sad that we have to do that because the whole idea is like, hey, you go from state to state and it's not a big deal. And to lose that, my, it's not nearly as big a deal, but in, and now it's sort of moot because in November I was going to see Hugh Jackman in the Music Man revival and that was like gonna be the thing but they've obviously Broadway said they're not going on until next year so it's like I said it's moot but I that information didn't come out before the initial news that New York was considering closing borders and I was like oh my god how do I justify taking two weeks off of work to go see a Broadway show like <laughs> <laughs> that's as lighthearted probably as it gets in terms of this because yeah it does it is like if you and and that's the frustrating thing is people are like I want you know my freedom and, and everything but they're not taking into consideration how it is affecting people I think as some I feel like a lot of people have said on this panel before and it's true is like until it hits you personally like until someone you know from a area maybe that's refusing to wear a mask can't get to a family member in an area that's saying please you know please don't slash you can't come here you know I I don't know that's terrible that that's what it would take that we a lot of people lack that empathy to just be like hey you know what I'll wear a mask and maybe we all hang out for a couple extra weeks until we can like tamp this down to a reasonable level Mm-hmm. Um, I have one final question in regards to this topic. Um, lastly, today in a Senate hearing, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that the U.S. has lost complete control of this pandemic, and we have only days to gain some control back, or we could be looking at 100,000 new infections a day. One of his biggest concerns is in younger people going out to social settings in large groups. Fauci said, we as a country have to stop going to bars. Yesterday, Los Angeles County released figures showing that on the weekend of June 20th, when bars were allowed to reopen, an estimated 500,000 people visited a nightlife spot. Without trying to sound overly dramatic, are we doomed? I ask because clearly there are a lot of people here in LA and most of the rest of the country who either don't care about the pandemic or don't think it's a real threat. And it doesn't seem like any amount of horrible news or ominous warnings they are given is changing their behavior. So once again, I'm asking, are we doomed? Emma, you wanted to say something. I mean, I was gonna mostly talk about New York. Um, I, I'm optimistic enough to not ever want to say that we're doomed per se, um, but it's the same optimism where I'm like, global warming isn't going to totally kill us, right? Because there's no evidence to support that. Uh, people continue to, you know, uh, use all kinds of single-use uh, products and like pollute, pollute, that's the word I was looking for, 
Like nothing is really changing on that front and people continue to think that this is all a hoax on the COVID front. Um, I don't know what could be done. I have to believe that there's something because if there's no hope, then like why keep going on and doing anything, right? Um, like why, why don't we all just fucking die? But I mean, so like I have to believe that there's something. I just, I'm not entirely sure what it is right now. Hey, Stuart? Well, I don't know if we're doomed, but I think the the states enforcing different border laws um, and quarantine and all that just shows how totally complete of a failure that the federal government is right now. The, the, the fact that states even have to regulate people in, you know, traveling in between states is, I, I'm not sure if there's a precedent for it, I, not that I know of. And I mean, the whole reason that a federal government exists is so people can interact between states seamlessly. There's a no, also there's no way to enforce the quarantine, the two-week quarantine. I mean, that's, that's really hard to enforce. Mm-hmm. I, I think the federal government really just needs to give some mask regulations and give generic regulations for the entire country Otherwise, the state one state's going to be getting it under control. Next is going to flare up, and then people are going to go from one state to another, and it's just going to be this insane cycle. It's really, it's just a complete failure, failure of government completely. You know what? And I do agree with you to an extent, but I also think it basically also comes down to the individual, to the you know, just be a human being. Put a stupid piece of cloth over your face, you know, for over your, you know, your nose, your mouth. I mean, people are refusing to do this. And to me, it's showing so much selfishness. And you know what, when people say, oh, well, I have the right to not wear it. Okay, fine. You don't want to wear it, but then don't go out. I mean, I'm sorry. Don't people get- shouldn't have the right not to wear it. No, that's the thing. That's, that's the whole the problem. It should be enforced, you know, start finding people. Start doing something. This is ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm very passionate about this. And it, and it makes me very, very angry. I mean, the things that I read, why people don't want, oh, it's my fucking right if I want to wear a mask or not. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know what? Not everything is always black and white. We need a lot of cops to, to enforce that. So you guys you know, want more cops? Well, you, you know, better whatever, cops. Whatever, whatever it's going to take. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever it's going to take. You know, I have a lot of friends. A different division that's not the police. You know, speak to, you know, as we traditionally think of them. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I have a lot of friends who are nurses and they keep posting this over and over again. They're tired, they're exhausted. And they're saying, you know, if, if you're in contact with somebody else, if both people are wearing masks, I mean, it drops the, you know, the chance of contracting it significantly. Just wear a fucking mask. It's frustrating. I'm Shana. I mean, this, this was, Europe was going to put a sanction on us being able to travel at the beginning because they, they thought this was going to be our attitude from the jump. People were shocked that we adhered as a country and calm down and, and, and locked in. Everybody predict, I mean, if you were reading the papers or reading international stuff, they thought that this was going to happen long ago, you know, because they were like, no one in America is going to do it. No one's going to do this. It's not going to happen. So we did do that, but now it's not, you know what I mean? Now that it's, now that there is a, l- a little bit more freedom, it's not enough. Absolutely. And or I don't know. So then they, you know, they want to have uh, no mass. I agree with you. I agree with you, Veronica. I, I, I agree. It's horrible to be yeah. out. I had somebody roll up on me at the Costco. He was literally right behind me, breathing on me mm-hmm. with his, like, I could feel him 
And it felt like Lord Vader behind you. Like, you're like, Jesus, man, like six feet, bro. And he was like, okay, okay, lady. Okay. Okay. Like I was crazy for, for reminding him six feet. Come on. Anybody think the protesters that are still out, many of not, not wearing masks should just go home or put on a mask. You feel the same way? Like you don't need to be out right now. I saw was wearing a mask. When I all have a mask on. Most of the ones I've seen actually did have a mask on. Yeah, most of the protesters. When I was out there, that was was the highest concentration. And a study, study, or they did some tracing or some study recently that indicated that the protests were not the cause of spikes that we're seeing. Oh yeah, there's none. Nobody got infected from that. None. I'm not saying that didn't happen. And you all it takes is one. They trace like one person to sixty. That's Nathan all it takes. Come on. Um. So we'll come back to this once I'm done. Alrighty. I think it's Damien. Damien, are you there? <laughs> hey. Hey. How are you? Good. And you it says Aaron, but it's me. <laughs> Somebody was trying to like infiltrate our <laughs> I can do it. I haven't seen you in so long. Good. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. So how have you been doing these last few months? How's the yeah. quarantine and all this treating you? Uh, not too bad. I've been getting a lot of golf in, which is good. Being out in the course, getting out about doing that, riding my bike. But uh, yeah, still missing out on all the things that I love to do. Obviously, dancing, arts. And working on set and all those fun things, you know, they're all on hold. And I just, I don't see them coming back anytime soon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being from Australia, how do you compare Australia's response to the pandemic versus our response here in the U.S.? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I, I'm still in a lot of contact with uh, everybody at home. And uh, the biggest difference mainly is the population. You know, like... Well, we got 4 million, I think, from Perth. You know, we're talking like 350 mil mm-hmm. in America. So we, our biggest problem in Australia was cruise ships. Because it's peak summertime. So we had a lot of ships out there that were coming into each port with people that were infected. And so that was our biggest problem coming in and out. Obviously, I would have loved to have gone home. But then I would have had to sit in another two-week quarantine. You know, it's like that whole steps and... Yeah, it's, I think the way they've dealt with it is a lot easier because there's less people and it's, and it's far more spread out. Mm. Whereas here, you know, we live on top of each other, you know, used to living out in the hills and things like that. They've been social distancing for days. But yeah, it's, that's the hardest part, I think, is just we're all on top of each other. Okay. So now I want to talk a little bit about Dancing with the Stars. So you yeah. are both the American and Australian version of it. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about your time on the show. What were some of the best and some of the worst things about being on that show? Uh, I think I didn't have any worse moments. I've had a lot of be- really good moments. I, my highest achievement, I think, I had with the show where I actually learned something because I've been dancing my whole life since I was 10. So to me, dancing second nature. I don't even think about it. So when, when we get them in the room, it's always for us is to try and figure out how to get the penny to drop with them, how them to make something sink in or you know, if they're good at this, we can cover up this. But I had a challenge. I had a, uh, an Australian girl, an Olympic gold medal, Paralympian. She had one leg. So I was learning the dynamics of creating steps around her with one leg. And, and I've never worked with you know, prosthetics, robot legs and stuff like that. So for her to see something that she was told she'd never be able to do, mm-hmm. for me, that was the most 
epic thing I ever learned out of the series. You know what I mean? I had to use my brain and how I could create different steps. So yeah, that's definitely top of my list with everything that I've done with the show. Again, I've been fortunate to do it in many countries, which is another highlight. I did it in Argentina, Mexico, Australia, mm-hmm. and of course here in the US. So yeah, traveling and you know being around other people and learning that same language through dance is a, it's a powerful tool. Yeah. Um, I'd like to ask your opinion about like a show like Dancing with the Stars coming back um, once production reopens. Do you think it's going to be coming back anytime soon or, or are we going to have to wait a long time? I've as- heard, <laughs> I've heard through a few that it is coming back. It is. Um, yep, definitely. They're, you know, they're definitely looking at doing it. Obviously it's going to be different. Uh, I don't think they'll have audiences. I know Australia, they did out uh, theirs early in the year and they had uh, no audiences, but they still had all the dancers. Sweden still did it as normal. I think what I'm hearing through here is they call it the bubble where they're going to, you know, 24 seven, you're going to be locked in how many weeks ever you survive. So that way they can kind of control who's in and out and who you're kind of interacting with. You know, most of the time it's just me and, or, you know, you and the pro in the room. So you kind of can deal with that and you feel producers, you know, in the background. So it's pretty easy to do, but when it comes to show and performance and all those things, as you know, it's a huge production. There's Mm -hmm. so many people that make this wheelhouse work. So. Yeah, that's probably going to be the biggest challenge, I think, for them. But I hear, like I said, they're going to move them in and they'll be 24-7, be like a big brother dancing with the stars. Like, yeah, <laughs> dancing with the stars and big brother all in <laughs> one. So I want to talk about my new favorite show, Perry yeah. Mason on HBO. Um, how did you become involved with it and what was your experience working on it like? Oh, fantastic. Anyway, you know, working on a HBO series and a little alone, you know, I was just stoked myself to get in there and get it, get yeah. my foot in the door. And then I kind of landed this uh, Roy Rogers Jr. character thing. So we had this big New Year's Eve party back in the 30s. So again, going back in time, all the costuming, all the set designs, everything about it is so fantastic. But that, like, take that for example, that set that I, that day, a couple of days where I worked on it, it was a 500 person call to set. Wow. Can you imagine calling 500 people said that? It's just not, it's nowhere near going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, for me, I was fortunate enough to land that Roy Rogers Jr. part. I was like, the, I guess I had the uh, Aussie came out in me and I was the cowboy amongst all these people dressed up in New Year's Eve. So I kind of carried the character. <clears throat> it was, yeah, it's so beautifully shot. The colors, oh. the store, everything about it. When Absolutely. we saw the trailer for it, you know, a while back, we couldn't wait until it was starting. So, that's definitely one of our, our new favorite shows. Absolutely. And I, I did another one too that year. I had a good year. I, I worked a couple of time pieces and the other one was Penny Dreadful. I got into that as well and got on set and doing some acting stuff with them. So again, for me, I've worked with cameras and, and obviously you're trying to work with them in a the dancing way to see it on the flip side with actors and to see how it's shot and then to see the end result when it comes up on screen is just mind blowing. You know what I mean? Like there's so much that goes into it and it could be only a 10 second slot or whatever, but it's like, it's the process for me and why I've been happy to jump into these sort of things. I'm, I want to do more of it is you never stop learning. You know, like when you're on set and you're seeing how it's shot and how it comes through, which is always something we did with dancing. So it's just working with these amazing directors and people like that. So that's my luck, I guess, of being able to be a part of it. Now I want to ask you something that, that I don't think I've ever asked you I'm in the past. <laughs> What's your favorite style of dance? And why? Favorite style of dance. Yeah. You know what? It really does depend on my mood. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling good or if I'm in the mood or it also depends on the music too. Like 
depending on the music you hear, like it could be a rumba, it could be a waltz, or it could be a samba. You know, like it really does depend on what you're hearing, yeah, and how I feel. I mean, again, who I'm dancing with. Yeah, I might want to get up close and personal. I might not want it with this person. So, yeah, there's all that that comes into it. But I'd say overall my favorite to dance are definitely the slower ones. I love rumba, always have, and I, and I love to do a waltz. A beautiful waltz is mm-hmm. can't It's so technical. You know, you don't realize how technical dancing is until you watch Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yeah. start That's the beauty of the show, though, you know, like, and I yeah. love that when you get somebody that has no dance experience and you see that growth over that 10 That's weeks, if they can go that long. That's the best thing about it. You know, and, you, and again, for them, too, because they half of them don't realize what they're signing up for. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's get a bit of dancing, a bit of this. But like you say, when you get into it, it is so technical and there is so much elements to it. But it, like, if you can get to relate to them a little bit and then you can kind of get them on board and you see what works with them, you go, all right, we can use this. And I use this in rumba. I can use this in a cha-cha. I could use this in a jive. You know what I mean? There's certain things we can kind of play with and tweak to get the best out of them, make them look the best they can on TV. Mm-hmm. So I have one final question for you before I bring on the panel because they might yeah. have questions for you. So you're the first Australian we've gotten to talk to on this show and we're hearing a lot of rumors about something and we wanted to know if you have any information that could help clear this up. What are you hearing from Down Under about Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban's marriage? Is it on the rocks? God, I hope not. Can you enlighten us? Well, I haven't heard anything about that so I can't enlighten you anything on any of that. And I haven't been hanging out with Keith. I did a uh, music video with Garth Brooks and uh, that's slipping my mind now. Did music with him, but yeah, no, I haven't had any run-ins with Keith Urban, so I can't let you know about that one, unfortunately. Okay, and we actually have one question from online from Danny. He wants yeah. me to ask you, who would be your dream celebrity to work with on Dancing with the Stars if you could Ooh. work with anybody? To me now, even working behind the scenes, like I don't actually have to be on camera dancing. I think it'd be great to work behind the scenes. I would love to work, always have, with someone like Michael Jordan. I think it'd be cool to put someone like him on a dancing show and see how he moves and grooves because he's got the personality. And yeah. let's be honest, he was one of the best in the world. So, yeah, I'd like to... I obviously wouldn't be able to dance with him, but I would like to be helping him and uh, progressing him through it. It'd be great. Okay. Okay, so let's bring everybody back on screen. <laughs> So I think you might know some some of the people on here. So hey, hey, welcome. Hi, this is Damien. For those that don't know who he is, <laughs> how we doing? So, does anybody have any questions for Damien before we let him go? Let's start with you, Joe. Go for it, Damien. So, um, uh, dancing obviously, uh, while Dancing with the Stars is great and has on the show. I mean, its main thing is still on the stage. Um, and of course, you when you're dancing on the stage, you're close. Everything, everybody's sweating. There's all these people. You also have to train understudies and things like that. How do you how are how are we going to change that now in this new world? I mean, you can't just quarantine everybody like you're going to do on the show on a on a Broadway stage or or like that. So how are they going to handle that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, what I said from what I've been hearing, they're going to call it like a bubble. So it will be you'll be very separate. So that will be, you'd still be able to train with your partner. So you're going to have that connection one on one always. My biggest thing is how you're going to cooperate it in with everybody else. Like you say, on stage, camera crews and all that, they're going to have to stay so far apart. Or if you're coming around, like you're used to interacting with all these people, which made the show even better. And you also fed off all the audiences that were there while you're out there dancing. So I think that's going to be the tricky part. How do you kind of cover that up maybe or enlighten it so that, you know, it's not there and it's more about the judges. Maybe they're one either side of the room. Who knows? You know what I mean? So you can spin it around a bit. 
but the dancing side of things, as I have seen in Australia, it still works. You know, you once you're up with your partner, if we're all tested and we're all good, and you you know we're just seeing each other all the time, we we train five to eight hours a day, so you pretty much spend with. So it'll be eat, sleep, and dance. Sheena. Uh, hi, Damien. Hey, I was going to say, is the Paso Doble as intense as it looks on television when you do it uh, with a partner? Yo, and I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean, no, no, that's the fiery one. That's the one where it's supposed to look intense. That's what we're after. We want it to be intense. Like you really are trying to create the man is the matador, the lady's the ball, or the gypsy, or whatever you're trying to get out of it, the cape. So yeah, it is supposed to be intense. That's the fiery one in the Latin dance. It's kind of similar to the tango. We want that to be fiery as well. So they're pretty similar. Okay. Elizabeth? Yeah. Uh, hi. Uh, I was wondering, so sometimes the stars have to do like travel and other commitments when they're training and get distracted. Do you think it would be an advantage to your partner to have to stay in like a bubble and not be able to leave and just 100%. make a- they, Once they're signed in and I've got them, that'd be even better. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's the half the battle is when you got to travel or they're flying out this week and you got to go on the road with them and they're still performing then you kind of, you lose hours. And at the end of the day, I, we've got to get, it could be two dances a week, three dances a week, and you've only got four days to do it. And then you've got to rehearse it and then you've got to get it ready. And then, you know, you've got to do your costuming and designing. So that would eliminate travel and their other distractions. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> Does anybody else have any more questions? Oh, yeah. Um, so, I understand a lot of how certain dancers can go to professional levels like jazz or hip hop, like you get background dancing. How do you start working as a professional when it comes to like ballroom and Latin dancing? I don't see that as often. hundred percent. Yeah, it was always uphill for me when I got into that. And I did it when I started when I was 10 and started training as a hobby. And it became like you used to go to dance lessons and everything else. And then once I started doing competitions and I started getting on the world circuit and traveling around like that, it kind of taking next, le next level through traveling and dancing and having lessons off the best teachers all around the world. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing for us that transformed, I guess what we were lucky to do was dancing with the stars coming to TV. I was fortunate enough to do Broadway for a year with a, a all ballroom cast. There was about 22 dancers. We were all ballroom and Latin American from all around the world. So we kind of put it all together, have a match. So I, I was lucky to get that platform and do Broadway for a year. They got, I got my foot in the door over here in the US and that's kind of ha how it happened really. But yeah, it's very unusual for ballroom dancers to get into this, you know, profession and make a living out of it. Yes, we can teach, we can run a dance studio and do it that way. But to do the TV side of things or even movies, strictly ballroom, you know, things like that kind of opened up that door a little bit for us to get work, which I'm very thankful for. And <laughs> a question, I just love strictly ballroom a lot. <laughs> yeah. I was 10 when they filmed that and, uh, and we were, I always remember we were over in Melbourne and they made the whole dance crowd clap. So all the clapping scenes at the end was all of us actually that were there for the competition to do that. And don't get me wrong, some of that dancing scenes that you see in Strictly Born, it's kind of like that. <laughs> yep. Hey, has anybody ever told you uh, on Zoom, you look like a young Michael Douglas circa like Wall Street. Anybody else see that? Like that. Yeah. I've had, uh, what was it, Michael J. Fox. I used to get that one a bit, but uh, I'll take Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's messing with me because the accent and then the face, I'm like, ah. Fair <laughs> work in my American, huh? Nina, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. No worries, guys. Thank you for having me. Before 2025. 
you know, hopefully. So. Well, like I say, hopefully dancing does get off the ground and they do get the contestants to come on and sign on and be in a bubble. And at least there is some sort of reality that is current to the times we're living in. Yeah. And hopefully it does get across the line, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again, Damien, and I'll talk to you soon. No worries. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. Okay, so it's time for today's Just One Question. I'm going to pick some of the topics, actually just one topic today, um, and ask you one question about it. Today, a Little Caesars franchise in Ohio fired two of its employees from making a swastika out of pepperoni and putting it out for delivery. I can't believe I just used swastika and pepperoni in the same sentence. Anyway, it's just one of the many horrible stories we are seeing these days. Whether it's people brawling in an Arkansas steakhouse over social distancing, people pointing guns at protesters in Missouri, restaurants like Hugo's Tacos here in Los Angeles, having to close because of belligerent customers who won't adhere to uh, mask requirements. My question is, are we seeing a higher level of meanness and cruelty today, or is it just more noticeable because everyone is so hyper aware of things now? Chris. Um, First off, I want to say to the people that made the swastika out of pepperoni, uh, first off, I got to commend you for your creativity. Uh, Secondly, I got to commend you for your, your, your sense of history, because if we know our history, Hitler and Mussolini were allies, and uh, they were both monsters. Not so only that, they put I stuff in ovens. Huh? Not only that, but the ovens. That, that's where I thought you were going. Yeah. Oh, even that. Like, you, you're mixing Italian, you got your Nazi, you got ovens. I mean... Also, the choice pure. of topping. That's like, pure. Jews ordering pepperoni is ironic in of itself, <laughs> as a Jew who just ate a pepperoni pizza. I, you know what? Listen. Layers to this. Day, that kind of hatred deserves a little bit of merit because they went for it, all right? They, they had, it wasn't just stupidity and throwing it out there. They, they put some thoughts into it. Now, I have to be upset because, listen, if I order pepperoni pizza, I want a full pepperoni, okay? It took you, to make a swastika, you had to take out 25% of each one of my pepperonis, and therefore, I should get a discount. So if I paid full price for that, I would be very upset, Okay. And thirdly, yes, we are seeing uh, a little bit more than uh, what was before because uh, not only <clears throat> we have two sides to what's going on, kind of. We got virtue signaling. So that anytime any kind of confrontation happens, people are pulling out their phones and, and ready to record it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it does mean that we're going to see more of it. And I also think that um, like it's it's also a mixture of what's going on right now. Like a lot of people have time on their hands to like just get a lot of anger and things going. And when they get out into the world, the smallest things do trigger them. So yeah, we are seeing more violence, but it's only because people ain't got shit else to do. So I, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's just a fact. People don't have anything else to do. So they're sitting around their house being like getting more lonely, getting more sad, getting more depressed, getting more angry. And then they take that out into the world and things that trigger them, people go off. And if they were already a bad person before, they're going to be 10 times that person now. Okay, Joe? Um, well, if you're going to make a pepperoni pizza out of the German flag, use the modern one. This way you get a nice big thick stripe of pepperoni in the center for the red, and you'll get a nice thing that's cheesed on the bottom for the gold, right? And then on the top, I'm figuring mushrooms would be really great for the black part. 
And that's the way you do it, uh, do it with the modern German flag. And also the modern Germans aren't fucking Nazis, so I'm glad you got fired. Um, now, listen, we all knew that this year was going to be tough anyway. Anytime we have an election year, and, and this is now for the, I don't know how many elections we're going along, because elections have gotten to the point where it's all a competition, it's all negative, it's all hate. So we, uh, normally on election years for a president, it gets nasty as it is. Now you've got everyone locked up. Now we've got everything that's going on in, in this country right now. Of course, there's going to be a lot of hate. There's going to be a lot of backlash. There's going to be a lot of anger. Oh, damn it. Um, you know, everyone, you, you, you can't sit there and say, calm the fuck down because no one's going to do it. So all I'm going to say is wear a mask and make it, make a pizza out of the modern German flag. Shana. I just always find it fascinating that people want to use the swastika, Veronica, when doing this, because a lot of the people who are doing that, their grandparents died or fought in the war to stop the Nazis. So I, I find that fascinating because they didn't even want, I can't say my, I mean, my grandfather was in the army and he did fight against the Nazis, but he wasn't invited to do so. Caucasian people were, they were, they signed up, they were drafted and signed up. So most of those people's grandparents fought and died. So against Nazis and to choose that to be what you're going to say, Hey, fuck you, Gramps, whatever you did, all the veterans who did that, Hey, fuck off. Cause it didn't really matter what you fought for. didn't matter to me. I don't give a shit. I mean, that's also horrible for people who admire and love history and admire and love the military, which all of those people, most of those people do, then I would think it's a huge fuck you to all the men who fought in that war. Hey, last comment, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it's a, a combo of, the, I think it's, you can see these things more on social media much more quickly than you ever used to before, sort of like, um, people are people used to be like oh my god you used to be able to leave doors unlocked and da, da, da. like no you never really were able to leave your door unlocked you just didn't hear about yeah. a crime in kansas if you lived in michigan you know that kind of a thing but now you do and so you, oh yeah you gotta leave your doors locked that kind of a thing so i think you see that more i think people maybe feel emboldened by seeing it more to a certain degree and i'm not saying cover it up by any means you gotta expose people for being pieces of shit who put nazi imagery on pizzas that deserves a, a takedown that's because that's terrible and and awful and um and also it is partially though like that stuff gets more attention negative stuff gets more attention than you know people coming together people doing good for the most part there's occasionally feel-good stories and stuff but i think we're all just really bogged down in a big like negativity thing and i'm not trying to be naive and be like all you need is like a positive story at the end of the news that's gonna undo everything no but uh it's you just we're just sort of stuck in this negativity spiral it's gonna be a while i think before we pull ourselves out of it okay. so we want to end today's show talking about a remarkable man yesterday comedy legend carl reiner passed away at the age of 98 most of our audience is too young to really understand the impact he had on comedy in his 60 years in show business. From being an actor and writer on one of TV's earliest classic shows, Sid Caesar's Show of Show, to his comedy partnership with Mel Brooks that produced the highest selling comedy album of all time, The 2000-Year-Old Man. Probably his crowning achievement was in 1959, when he created a show for himself called Head of the Family, about a TV writer who also had to juggle his family life. 
CBS felt he wasn't right for the lead, so Reiner recast the part with Dick Van Dyke and created the iconic Dick Van Dyke show, which, along with I Love Lucy, is considered to be the archetype of the modern sitcom. Since then, he directed several hit films like The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, Oh God, and a string of films with Steve Martin, including The Jerk, one of my favorites, The Man with Two Brains, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, and All of Me. He also acted consistently on TV and in film, most notably in the Three Oceans movies with George Clooney and Brad Pitt. In total, he won 11 Emmys, one Grammy, published 18 books, was given a star on the Walk of Fame in 1960, elected to the Television Hall of Fame in 1999, and received the Mark Twain Award for American Humor in 2000. Not a bad life. Does anybody want to add anything else about the legendary Carl Reiner? Uh, Elizabeth. There is a really wonderful Twitter thread of, from a guy named, oh, I had it up, hang on, Matthew Rosenberg about his dad getting a phone call from Carl Reiner about clarifying a joke in a sketch from your show of shows. It is a very sweet story. It's like a testament to how funny and lasting Carl Reiner was and how good of a person by all accounts he was. Uh, and then also I just saw that he and Mel Brooks would watch Jeopardy, eat spaghetti, and then watch movies together like real regularly. And that's sort of a dream life. <laughs> and somebody tweeted they were, he must have, you know, he's already in heaven at that point. What a great way to spend your evenings with your friend, some good food and some good entertainment. Shayna. Yeah, um, the spaghetti part, that's one of my favorite things, Elizabeth. And the 2,000-year-old man got me through, when I was in the hospital, a friend of mine gave me that book, and that book is awesome. So if you're looking for content that's not a long read, but funny and fun by two men, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, two comedy legends, go. <laughs> Libby it up. It is awesome. Uh, Joe. Carl Reiner was... Um... One of these guys, I know we, we a lot of times we say comedy is family. He was one of those guys that would go um, out of his way to uh, help you or, uh, to, you know, critique a joke or, or to, you know, just to kind of push you along uh, when even when you were nobody in comedy. I mean, we talk about the Steve Martin thing, but I mean, nobody wanted to uh, get behind the jerk, but he saw something funny about it mm -hmm. and, uh, and actually did it. But I mean. Uh, there's stories the my friends even have of, of just being able to walk up to him and talk to him and ask him about it. And he was always the most encouraging person uh, when it came to comedy and comedy writing in general. And, um, um, you know, I know his legacy lives on with his son, who's also a really great comedy writer and a writer himself. And is still a, a pretty big uh, a person here in Hollywood. But uh, to me, I think we are, the comedy world is sorely missed today uh, mm -hmm. because uh, he was, he's a legend. He is a legend. Yeah, he was once asked about the Dick Van Dyke show and he said that he had a feeling that it was going to live a long life because it was based on something real, which was based, you know, on his life. Um, you know, the comedy writer living in the suburbs in New York. And he also said about that show that he uh, refused to use any slang of the time and no politics either, just ethics, because to him that was very important. And he did, he was quoted saying, um, the only thing that remains for a long time is the ethics. And this show did have a life that should go on after I'm gone. So I wanted and, to turn that as Dick well. Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke had said is because of that show is the reason that he got Mary Poppins. 
Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't have Mary Poppins either with that. Or the wonderful career of Dick Van Dyke, who's also a legend to me, too. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So with that, we say goodbye for today. And we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Have a good night, everyone. Bye. Get that cat out of here. Wear a mask. Yeah. Wait, who's got a cat?